Hello and welcome to Bingeworthy, a podcast dedicated to telling you which of these many dozens of streaming shows that are being thrown at you each week and month are worth your time and attention. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and today I get to talk to you about the new Apple TV Plus series called Extrapolations, which is this Black Mirror-esque show that shows you different interwoven stories in the same world across multiple years and basically checks in on humanity at different times between the years 2037 and 2070, I believe, as they deal with the chaotic effects of global climate change over that time span and how, despite everything, humanity still fights to survive. And it's really interesting the series premieres its first three episodes on apple tv plus on friday march 17th joining me to discuss the show is writer director and showrunner scott z burns who wrote contagion and the informant and the born ultimatum and side effects and the report and many more during the chat we talk about his ability to wrap his mind around these massive topics and make them both informative and entertaining in equal measure Uh, the sci-fi technology rabbit hole that you can fall down when making these future sci-fi stories like Extrapolations, Um, the prescience of Contagion and how he reacted to COVID playing out through that lens. He's an executive producer on the upcoming Dune, The Sisterhood, the HBO Max series that's in the works, which is in the world of Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Very excited about that one. But as far as Extrapolations goes, it's a very bold and ambitious story. There's part of it that feels, like I said, very Black Mirror, and Scott even mentions that in the interview, but these episodes aren't completely disconnected from one another like Black Mirrors are. So there's this through line that we follow through different characters and plot elements that make it very rewarding once you get to the end, which ties it together really nicely. Um, The show has an absolutely stacked cast with Sienna Miller and Diane Lane and Tobey Maguire, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Meryl Streep, David Diggs, Marianne Cotillard, uh, Matthew Reese, and even, oh yeah, Kit Harington has a particularly juicy part in it. Before we get to my chat with Scott C. Burns, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, the Discourse, the Rogue Ones, Yellowstoners, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Follow, like, subscribe, drop us a rating on any of those as we greatly appreciate it. As a reminder to our listeners, the first three episodes of Extrapolations can be streamed on Apple TV Plus with new episodes premiering each week. Okay, let's get to my interview with writer, director, producer, showrunner, the amazing Scott Z. Burns. Scott, how the heck are you, man? Good, Mike. Awesome. Uh, First off, right off the top, congratulations on Extrapolations. I just actually finished it this morning and... It's a hell of a journey, man. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really yeah, glad it's... to hear that you found your way to the end. I did. And I'm really glad I did because it's fascinating. It's frightening as an experience. It's really interesting, you know, just experiencing the series through generational time jumps or perspective time jumps. There's elements of like Black Mirror in there, but this it's like it's not your typical anthology because you're ultimately staying in the same world. You're jumping through time. It's a unique experience. It really is. So where did the genesis of extrapolations begin? And was it always so ambitious? 
I think it became more ambitious as as we got into it. You know, when I started, I thought, you know, I love Black Mirror. And so I, I started thinking about a construction like that. But then I started thinking about how do you create tension in a thriller? And I thought, well, we should have a ticking clock. Um, and, you know, even the credit sequence that we came up with goes a long way to that and, and setting up in the the pilot that, you know, we have to make a decision about where we're okay with temperature on the planet winding up. And, you know, if it goes above two, what, what sort of world do we have? If it goes above 2.2, what sort of world do we have? And so that happened and that sort of was a connective piece. And then I was like, well, what characters would be interesting to revisit throughout this? And when Kit and I started working together, I said, you know, I kind of love to have your guy, you know, march through time with us and be someone who is a pretty complicated character who has some things to say that are hard to disagree with, but does some things that, you know, are pretty self-interested. So a lot of it evolved while we were in the process, which was a little bit of a tightrope act to keep moving a production forward, but also, you know, to stay in it with the process, because, you know, I guess I believe that if you can remain open you know, you, you, you'll find new things as you go. And fortunately, our production was able to support that. With the writing of it, there's a lot of, I wouldn't even say thinly veiled anger there. There's like, there's, there's frustration, there's sadness, which seems very purposeful. Are you just at the point where you're looking to just shake people and be like, wake up, look around, what do we have to do to make people look around. Is that kind of where you're at and what you wanted to kind of do here? Or were you trying to be a little more subtle here? You know, I, I have, I think, a lot of different emotions about this issue. You know, since I worked on An Inconvenient Truth, of course. and even before that, you know, <clears throat> when I was in my 20s, I went to Alaska and I worked as an oil spill volunteer after the Exxon Valdez. And I worked in a center cleaning otters. And you know, otters are the most adorable thing you could ever imagine. And I thought this is a, a good thing that I'm doing right. But then I realized that the Otter Center had been created by Exxon and they marched journalists like yourself through there every day. And a lot of those otters didn't even come from areas that were oiled. Um, mm -hmm. They were just there to sort of do this performative thing. And, you know, I think my anger started then, mm. which is that... We know what needs to be done. Um, we know that some of the narratives that have been put in front of us about how hard that will be are false. And so, you know, there are times when it's easy for me as a writer to channel my anger about that. <laughs> but I also know that there's immense possibility and there's plenty that is changing and going in a great direction. And so it really, you know, the tension between those two things in terms of my own experience yeah. um, are something that I hope comes across in the series, because out of that tension, I think you find entertainment. Yeah, for sure. It's an entertaining and fascinating watch. And like you were kind of saying out there, there's a theme where humans kind of seem to be dooming themselves at every turn, like both in the show and the reality, because you're someone who spends time thinking about this and experiencing this stuff. 
are your thoughts more in line with where you kind of end up in the series? I won't want to spoil it, but do you think we'll ever be able to get off of this trajectory we're currently on? Are we doomed? Are we worth saving as you ask in episode three or is life just a transaction? You know, all that kind of stuff. I do think we're worth saving. I feel like there's so much that is beautiful and graceful and worthwhile about humans, but there is also an awful lot that's cruel and short-sighted. And I'm obviously not not the first person to have noticed that. <laughs> but, you know, in, in the case of this show, I think there are a few things that can really cause inflection. And 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 even when you look at people like Greta Thunberg, you know, holding people accountable mm-hmm. is is not a revolutionary concept. And so, you know, as one of our characters says later in the series, it's what you chose not to do when you knew better. And we're at that point. There are leaders in the world who know better, who understand the complexity of this issue, who are not doing the necessary things. When I think about, you know, Greta getting arrested in Germany at a coal mine, I kind of cheer for her. You know, mm-hmm. that those are the kinds of brave actions that people now have to have to do. So like when people talk to me about hope, what I try to talk to them about is courage and accountability. What sort of acts are you prepared to start doing to really change the script? Because there is a very different narrative waiting for us that actually is pretty positive and amazing. Yes. And amongst all of this heavy discussion and thought-provoking narrative, there's the futurism of it all, the sci-fi of it all. I would feel like it takes so much research. And so you'd probably have to talk to so many people to get things right. How intensive of a process is that for you? For me, that's, you know, where a lot of these things have started, you know, even going back to things like the informant and certainly contagion, was I love to start by talking to the experts and, you know, encouraging them to share with me their their fears, their beliefs, their hopes, um, their research. So I did a lot of that work. But then, you know, the the real experience of this and, you know, whether it was episodes I wrote or episodes I worked on with Rajiv Joseph or Bess Wall or Dave Eggers or Dorothy Fortenberry, the discipline was how do we take something big like sea level change and connect it to something human and potentially even funny, like what we do in episode three with with David Schwimmer and David Diggs and this amazing young actress we found, Nesca Rose. Like, how can we create a story that looks at a very real phenomena, but looks at it in a way that is entertaining? Because at the end of the day, like, that's the deal, right? You know, Mm -hmm. if someone's going to give me an hour of their time, I want to give them something that they're going to walk around chewing on that makes them laugh or think or, you know, we need to remember we're making entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah. There are moments in there there where I'm always like, oh, man, look at that future technology or whatever. I feel like I'd fall down a rabbit hole if I were writing all this stuff. Which future tech do you think you'd most quickly like jump at or get lost in that you kind of gathered up for the show? Well, it's interesting because when you're doing a show for Apple, you begin to contemplate the future of the phone. (laughs) Um, And I certainly asked them about that, but they're not telling me. So Mm -hmm. Um, I know their phone will not be our phone. I do think that coming out of pandemic where I did a lot of the, the creative work and, you know, experienced what we're doing right now, like I do think 
as holograms become a more possible thing, I can imagine that you would have a device that would allow you to have a conversation like this, but we might be columns of light in each other's living rooms rather than flat projections. I think that is certainly something, um, you know, I was very proud of myself in episode six for coming up with an app that changed your eye color um, <laughs> on your phone. So it, it just, it was something, you know, with all of our department heads that we talked about, like how can you look at any scene and try and find something you know, that will be tweaked. There's a moment in the Oval Office in episode four where Cherry Jones, who plays the president, is giving a speech in front of a camera. And then at the end, the camera just sort of flies away. <laughs> and, I, you know, I love things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely get lost there. But on the whole, you seem to kind of like circle back to these human-caused tragedies over your career, whether it's the pan a pandemic or like climate change or pharmaceutical horrors or government and media corruption, some of these subjects, they feel so large. So how do you wrap your head around them enough to break it down and simplify it for like a narrative that seems digestible for an audience? Those are the stories that I grew up, you know, loving when I saw Serpico as a kid growing up. And it really introduced me to the idea of, of systemic corruption. You know, when I saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it really introduced me to the whole world of mental illness and and how, you know, that exists side by side with us. But those are all human stories. Those are all characters that sort of give us a window into those worlds. And so for me, it usually starts with understanding the possibilities of the science and then figuring out a character who is going to have to navigate through, you know, a conflict in the midst of that. Extrapolation seems like very uh, a purposeful one piece, like it, it is a whole piece. Yeah. Is there a world where we get more extrapolations? And what would that look like if you wanted to do that? As a big Clash fan and someone <laughs> who worships and mourns Joe Strummer, I think a lot about a thing he said, which is the future is unwritten. Mm. Um, and, you know, extrapolations is one possible future. Mm -hmm. And the reason why Dorothy Fortenberry and I sort of pasted out the way we did with these different sort of intervals was we left some blanks to fill in. Mm. Um, and if I were given another season, I would love to extrapolate another season, another, another future and look at other stories and other characters. So there was some thought behind leaving that door open um, if anybody wants me to go through it. Very nice. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to pivot a little bit to like your time working with Steven Soderbergh because you guys collaborated sure. so many times, whether it's the informant or side effects or contagion, many others. What keeps you two coming back together and what do you think you've learned from that partnership? Well, I'll answer the second part first. You know, most everything I know about a film set, I learned from Stephen. You know, Stephen can do any job on a film set, including edit. The first and most important thing I learned was um, I'm not Steven Soderbergh. I need help and I need to really lean into my department heads and collaborate. 
I relish the collaborative process, which is something that he gave me a seat at the table too, which isn't always true of a writer in Hollywood. Um, and, you know, Stephen obviously has supported me as a director and there's still connective tissue here. You know, my, my biggest creative partner on, on this show was Greg Jacobs, who had been Stephen's AD and then Stephen's producer for the last, you know, 25 years. And one of the things that Stephen said to me is, you need a buddy. You need, you know, when you're going to go and do something as big as a show, and Stephen and Greg did the Nick together, mm -hmm. you need a buddy who can kind of keep you from being devoured by all of the things that a showrunner has to do. Um, and so I had Greg with me um, on this ride. And, you know, there's a lot that he and I share about Stephen and all of the incredible career gifts I've gotten not just about when to get in or out of a scene or how to run a set, but about what it means to collaborate with other people and and how you want to honor them in the process. I'm sure you've answered this a million times, especially since 2020, but I have to ask how you two reacted and retreated after Contagion basically became a documentary of sorts, a prescient kind of document. Did it change how even you looked at the film? How how did that experience kind of warp things for you? Ian Lipkin, who was the scientist who I met at Columbia University, who was sort of my biggest source. And Ian had worked on SARS in like 2002 or three. So I understood that we could anticipate more viruses coming out of nature. Um, we even talked about bio error and, you know, could they come out of a lab? So I'm not surprised that it happened. The question was always when, not if. So not surprised that it happened. Obviously, I had no idea it was going to happen that soon after the movie. I think for me, the thing I couldn't have anticipated was how completely messed up the response of our government would be. I really thought that a, a dangerous disease that was killing people would make everyone put away their little toys and their politics and come together on the side of science and make really sound policy. And it was heartbreaking to watch that. Um, and I don't think the scientists I know anticipated that either. So that part was incredibly painful to watch, I think, for me and for everybody. You know, on extrapolations, there's kind of a a slightly different issue, which is now the question isn't if, because you know we are experiencing climate change. Mm -hmm. We are seeing forest fires and storms and heat waves and human migration. We are seeing the things we talk about the show. The question to me is what? What will we do? You know, will we begin to take action against them? Or will we find a way of kicking the can down the road? And I think the answer will be both. And I don't think we will see climate change wipe out the human race. But this is a story that I'm writing alongside of everybody else who's alive right now. I mean, this is something <laughs> we're all doing together. Yeah, absolutely. You've got a lot of in development, in quotes, projects listed online. I'm curious what the next one is that that's going for you. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> um, 
I'm not I'm not really sure right now. I think, mm -hmm. you know, this has been a really rewarding um, and very, very consuming show to be a part of. I think I'm 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 open to anything right now in terms of of the other projects. Um, I'd love to get back behind the camera and direct another feature, but I had a great time doing this TV show. And yeah. you know, show running is a very different gig, but I think once you've done it, you you probably are foolish enough to do it again. <laughs> They're they're giving me the wrap, but one more question, just because I'm so I'm sure. such a Dune fan. I know you were involved as an executive yeah. producer on Dune: The Sisterhood. I know there's been a lot of turmoil and and whatnot in the production, but I'm guessing what is your role there and where does it currently stand? I had a really interesting role, which was, you know, when we began to talk about the show and it became Dune: The Sisterhood, I said the first thing I want to do is disqualify myself. <laughs> as showrunner, because obviously I am not part of a sisterhood. Mm -hmm. um, also, I was working on extrapolations and that was in first position. So I was always there sort of in service to the ideas and the overall, you know, nature of the show. And I remain very, very passionate about that. You know, it's it's a tough one to crack. I, people People have been working on on trying to do a Dune show for 20 years, mm -hmm. but I think I think we're getting really really close, and I'm I'm certainly not giving up hope. And fortunately, neither neither are our friends at HBO. Nice. Well, glad to hear it, Scott. Again, Extrapolations is excellent. Great art makes you you know think and debate and potentially change behavior. And the show is definitely got the potential to do that. Very singular, thought provoking. Congratulations. Thanks, man. That means so much to me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate it.